There we are. We are live. What's up, here. everybody? Welcome back to the juice. This is episode two. Episode two for us. So I would say we sticking with our little New Year's resolution. We're doing of, it. We're doing, doing this. Of showing up and doing it for the podcast. Hey, hey. and showing up is half the battle. Absolutely. Or all the battle. Did you have any New Year's resolutions? I don't do resolutions. Yeah, I stopped doing them too because 20, 30 days later, a month later. I look around and see that, you know what? I have not dedicated a system to this goal that I have in mind. That's something I've been pondering on is goals versus systems, right? We can have a goal of being a millionaire. The systems is what is it going to take over the next yep. however many years to get there. So for me- Are you going to be I, a millionaire? Listen, but that's not my goal. Okay. <laughs> I I'm like, if love, you better tell me. Yeah, I would love some money, but for me, it- has to do with my weight that goes up and down and up and down and up and down. So I heard something that says, if you just try to make, because sometimes our goals are just too lofty, Mm -hmm. right? We are like, we want to do everything at the beginning of the year. We want to wake up earlier to the gym Mm -hmm. four times a week. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to be better at work. And we have all of these goals. But again, we fail to put those systems in place. Mm -hmm. But I heard something that says, if you just improve by 1%, try to improve, pick something, and try to improve that thing by 1% every single day. Over the course of a year, you will come up with, I believe they said 37% of a change overall. The math ain't math in the like the math. No, but like, you gotta, <laughs> but don't worry about it because you're gonna But I understand it what you're saying. It's but 37%. Changes, yeah. yeah, they said in a year, 37% you'll see a difference in whatever that thing is. So let's just say people who may have some sort of substance misuse disorder, right? Again, I work in mental health. So these are the terms we try to talk about things honestly, but also actually define them. Just imagine yeah. somebody getting 1% worse every single day when it came to a substance misuse disorder. What that could look like over the course of a year, what that could look like for them over the course of two years. So that is my encouragement to you not to be going off on a tangent. But as we talk about goals, I just wanted to say one percent. Just focus on one percent every day. Just extra water. You may not get to eight or nine bottles of water a day. I drank a little bit more than I drank yesterday and then start to implement those habits because we are a collection of our habits. That's right. Not necessarily our ambition, not our yeah. goal. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. God bless you. And that's what I do. So I, I do, do that too. I, I do. I don't make those. Sometimes I have the big goals. I'm like, I already know if I do crazy, it's like, right. okay, I got to Like, so I didn't go like straight out New Year's Day, like pit in the gym, whatever. Hmm. No. I was like, all right, this week I'm going to focus on my water. Next week, I'm going to go. start walking. And it's like I get used to it. And I'm like, okay, I can do yeah. this. I can do the small wins kind yeah. of stuff too. So are you a person that usually is very calculated and detailed when it comes to planning? As you can see, as you know about me, I am not. I am definitely the queen of winging it. And my supervisor at work is now, we got to ring this thing in. We got to tighten up. So anyway, <laughs> but I am just the queen of winging it. It's always worked for me, but just me imagining how much better it could work for me. Teach yeah. me some of your skills about Yeah, I also wing it, so I'm not going to lie. But I also love, 
I love to accomplish things. So really, mm. if it's like I got a big goal or something, I have learned over my life how to take that one bite, one bite, one bite. That's true. To eat the elephant. That's true. You know how they say And they, that's what this book, Atomic Habits. And I also oh. bought another book that you brought me, What Needs to Be Said. Stuff oh, that needs John to be Pavlovitz. said. I want you to talk a little bit more about him too. Oh, and wow. I want you to tell me your favorite part of the book. Nevertheless, damn, I forgot where I was going with that. Cindy. How about See, we tell everybody problem. who you are? This is Chantel Rose. Y'all know who I am. Host I don't need Chantel no introduction Rose. in this. <laughs> Y'all know me. I don't need no introduction in this. But anyway, and no, I'm Chantel Dr. Rose. Cindy Panier, and we are here downtown Fort Myers at Seed to Bean Market. It's a great place, great shop. We hope that some, we're, we are going to record here live every week. So you can come. We're going to be advertising. We tell you when we're going to be and we can come have a coffee. You can have a conversation with us. You could get in on the conversation because we want this to grow into a community. Yeah, this is definitely about a community educating ourselves first and spreading that that love for education to other people, whatever the topic may be. So you have something to inform people on. We invite you to come and sup with us and sit with us. However, I think we are changing. We are looking at changing our time that we're meeting here. You know, we're in the experimental phase here too. We may move to something like a breakfast format, breakfast show, breakfast club format, maybe mornings. We'll see if we can get my night owl self to We'll see. Work on that. Yeah, I like <laughs> I can function well in the evenings too. But nevertheless, we're bringing you Juice Fresh Talk. Shout out to Juice. Rosini and I have had an interesting journey. But for the over the past year, we this was our first time being actively involved in an election, an election cycle together. And just to be so fully real and fully transparent, this was my very first time running for office and sitting with just the reality of not outperforming an opponent or several opponents that can be tough that That can weigh on the spirit a little bit so this is an hour of i believe in that transparency and so i invite people to ask us questions and to pick our brains and help us expand and help us Mm. to stretch as we present ourselves to you i know cindy has a wealth of knowledge i said cindy i can be the cool one but you're the smart one i think cindy is pretty (laughs) damn cool too because being smart is cool however that's uh, what they always told me in school yeah they told you you were cool because you were smart no they never said that no i so i actually teach at the university here today was the first day of classes okay i'm telling my students i'm like you're trying to get them excited yeah you're gonna love it we're gonna learn the government the constitution right right, right. cool i said and i'm hilarious so you should definitely come to class but i framed myself as like i fully understand I'm a political dork. I'm a political nerd. I love it. I was taking notes, the Gulf War in 1992 as a kid, like watching CNN, Hmm. taking notes because I was so interested I, that right. is how i've been so i've my i thrive and your students it. probably like what in the hell is this but your enthusiasm about government i'm sure it has to spread to them in some form or fashion they have to catch that flame even if they aren't passionate about politics and government but they should be if they're taking your class then they definitely yeah. are some poli- it's a general ed. oh general, it's general education. education yeah and general ed can be a struggle because sometimes you're just trying to push through to get to your area of interest right and so i tell them i'm like look i get it you want to be a nurse or a teacher or whatever i was like i understand i want you to get the basics i want you to understand i want you to get excited absolutely about our community and the things that do that are is going on Mm -hmm. so 
also, if you have a problem, I want you to know who to go to. Absolutely. I don't want you just out there blaming Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't do it. Yo. He didn't do it. That is so crazy because, <laughs> you know, Diamond and what's the other? So there were Diamond two. and Silk, yeah. So I don't know them like that, but I knew what they stood for. So these were very hardcore Trump supporters, two black women. I and mean, one of them, Diamond, just recently passed away. Yep. And when I tell you, so I'm all on the internet, I'm on the shade room, whatever platform. And I was so disgusted in the comments, right? And when people are asked to talk about why they dislike Trump, they can't tell you. They'll say words like, oh, racist, but they really can't tell you. And so full circle, what you do is so very important because we need, if we're going to not like somebody, we need to know why we do not like them. And that's one thing I can respect and appreciate you. You're not just throwing out blanket statements like, oh, they're this, they're an idiot, they're racist, they're this, this, blah, blah. You are actually breaking the stuff down. And I can appreciate that. Yeah. Like, for instance, so I was explaining to my students, I said, now they have this requirement. They got to take my class and the civic literacy exam. Mm. It used to be and or. And then two years ago, they changed it. Right. So my students eyes glaze over. They're going, oh, really? I said, listen, I'm with you. I don't think you need to take this test. I said, but if you're mad about it, you know who you got to call? You got to call your state legislator. It was them and the state Senate and the state house here in Florida that decided to do that. So don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at the administration. Don't get mad at the mayor. All right. We're talking about you calling your state Yeah, don't be mad at your professor. So let's talk about legislation that has been passed that has been impacting professors here in the state of Florida. What's going on? Talk to us. Spill the tea. Spill the tea. So actually, I had a long chat with some other professors at the university today, and Mm -hmm. we were having a good laugh about things. So what's going on? There's a few different things that are going on. So right now, like the the most recent thing that happened Mm -hmm. was there is a college, a public university in Sarasota called New College. And it's regular liberal arts, small school, but Ron DeSantis decided that he wanted to make it more conservative. So he started putting activist people on their board. Now, each university has their own board of directors that makes decisions and feeds information back up to the state back and forth. And so people were really worried about that. Also, there is what's called the Board of Governors here in the state of Florida, and they oversee all of the schools, all the universities and public colleges in the state of Florida. They make the rules. How do you get your money? How do you get the funding from the state or the federal government? What kind of metrics there are? All that kind of stuff is the Board of Governors. Now, our state senator here, Ray Rodriguez, is now the president of the Board of Governors. He's okay. in charge of all that. We see influence little we, by little. We can talk a little bit about that because it's, he's there because of some of the things that he passed. But there's a little backroom politics, but let's talk about this for a minute, because one of the things that's really got professors worried is that if you were teaching a quote unquote woke agenda, Jesus Christ. you are the they're asking the universities to put together a list of woke professors and send them to the state. I'm going to put your name on the list. That's what I said. I'm going to be on the top of that you list. You got the professor. And you know what? It's so interesting how that term woke was hijacked. We've been using stay woke in the black community and cindy dabbles in the black community quite a bit erica badu she has a song right i stay woke (laughs) and basically stay woke queen stay woke brother meaning stay on your p's and q's not necessarily about racial matters Mm -hmm. but definitely pay attention to what is happening in your community and your government basically stay alert who can be mad at that and we've seen this term hijacked and choked and now your boy says ron DeSantis. That's what, yeah. Yeah, boy. he's making his, That's he where, says, Florida is where woke goes, goes to, to die. die. Where woke goes to die. And it's like, why would you want woke 
to die? What is, what, why you want people sleeping? What you trying mm-hmm. to do? Yeah, that's actually exactly what you want. So, but mm-hmm. I digress. So yeah, it's, but it's weird because it's like, yeah. So there is a professor at Florida Gulf Coast University that does teach a whole class. He calls it, the, there's a, it's called white racism. It made national news, mm. but it's really talking about some of these different dynamics and systemic racism. And okay. I'm pretty sure that he's going to He's going to be on top of that list. So what's going to happen when you get on the list? What happens when you're on the list? They don't know. They don't know. But this is, it's pretty scary because they were talking about, this is the kind of stuff that fascists do before they start killing people. So do you ever feel like your family will be targeted? Do you ever have those concerns? From time to time. Yeah. Sometimes. It's strange because, you know, you're in the community, see people, and, and I'm hoping that actually by being out, and I talked about this with other activists too, right? It's because I'm on TV and radio and I'm doing yeah. all these things much more so than some of the other folks who are just coming out to a rally. I have a layer of protection because I'm a public person. So hey. if I go missing, especially when I was running as a candidate, if I go missing, somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going to notice. But I saw some other women, particularly women who were working, protesting in the pro-choice movement. Mm-hmm. They were getting harassed by cowboys. They were being chased down. They had people sitting at the end of their driveway. And it's because... <laughs> It was, I think it was a lot harder for them. So there's a part of me that's worried. Yeah. But I actually use this as a platform for transparency and to protect myself so I can say things that need to be said. Yeah. Because I already know. I Listen, I've already gone through the jobs and the contacts, the people, the organizations that don't want to talk to me because of my political affiliation. Yeah. And it's crazy, but it's true. And... And I already know the risk. And so I know why some people don't want to say that they're a Democrat here in Southwest Florida. It's because they could lose their job. They could lose their donors. But I'm about to just, I might be dropping that Democrat. I don't know. Really? Yeah. What you thinking? I don't know. We'll get into that soon. But nevertheless, speaking of rallying, based on what you just told us, because it's not just, we want to feel informed, but we want Mm -hmm. to feel empowered to do something. So when it comes to the legislation, especially when it comes to college students who are really interested in these matters, what can one do to push back? You said contact your legislator, but how does that really work? People be like, oh, call your senator, call your, if they respond, does that really truly work? What can a person do? So Yes. Okay. So it does matter. So if you call, if you, if there's a lot of people who are calling and writing matters, but it's really, it's a lot of people, right? So in order to make an effect, you really have to get everybody that's involved in that issue to call because it's the way that the legislators work is, is this important to people? They pay attention to who's showing some influence, who has the weight behind them, not just one or two people saying, Oh, this really pisses us off. Pay attention to the influence. Exactly. Okay. And, but the other thing about this particular, the anti-woke, whatever, is it's not real. (laughs) I mean, it's really, it's it's, not real. It's It's so wild how it took off and how a lie just falls. Something that just, we, because it starts with the fact that, say for instance, CRT, mm-hmm. critical race theory is not even taught at a K through 12 level. It's some kind of collegiate, not even just collegiate. It's, Legal. It's, it's a, it's, law you study. have to be yeah. in, in law school to even engage in critical race theory. But that particular topic we've seen, it just trickle down into the hearts and minds of the most common of the most common of the most basic of mankind. And now everybody's throwing it out as if, oh my God, I'm going to send my kindergarten and they're going to be learning all these heavy topics on race. But at the same time, you couple that misinformation with the fact 
that there is this agenda to suppress. And I spoke about this the other day. I gave a talk back on a play at the Florida Rep called Florida Lab. The Rep. Lab Theater. The Lab Theater called Sisters. But we were talking about the suppression of Black stories. Say, for mm -hmm. instance, I believe the it is the McGraw-Hill curriculum that is no longer referring to slaves or enslaved. They're referring to them as workers. And like I said, it's it makes it sound like workers implies wages, implies benefits, mm -hmm. implies some kind of no. And so we see this suppression. Right. And you have white kids. Talk from a white mother's perspective with white children on what that could possibly feel like to some people, which I know you're not, you, your kids are probably no, my kids, more well-informed than I went to the queue. <laughs> oh, for sure. They were in the queue and loving it too, hanging out, just getting out of med meditation and everything like that. But what could that possibly feel like? If you had to step into that role of a Karen and explain what that could feel like, what do you think so people are genuinely feeling? What it is, is that, so there's a lot of things going on with how people are perceiving race. So that it's really common among folks to to want to say we're equal. I don't see color. People say that. I'm not racist. I, I don't damn sure see, see it. And that's a convenience for people who aren't affected color right. their skin. So it's a privilege, right? And so they it makes them feel uncomfortable because people don't want to think of themselves as racist, as acting. Or as associated with the quote unquote slave master. They don't want to be right. like, why if there's two different groups, slaves and slave masters, I don't want to be right. Slave and it master. wasn't my family. It wasn't you my know, fault. It wasn't that. I ain't have nothing to and do it's with it's fault at this it point. Right. Really is not. Systemic racism that exists is our fault. That is part of the perpetuation of it. But part of it is just not even really fully understanding it. It's really hard for a white person to understand the lived experience of a black person day to day. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And so there takes an openness about wanting to understand somebody else's position. And actually, this is what we started to talk about a little bit last week, how you and I have some interesting vantage points because we spent time living in other countries. We already know yeah how to flip these things on and off, right? Yeah. And what it's like to be in a foreigner in a foreign land and look different, feel different, not be able to speak the language. It kind of helps you to flip things around. I think specifically for white people, because there's, especially among black people in the United States, they already do a lot of code switching, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Between there's their language, phonics. Yeah. We don't really use that as I much anymore, need, but I, you, you I, switch your culture yeah. depending on where you're at. Yeah, I might need to do a class on code switching and how essential it is to black folk in particular. Yeah. But it was interesting to me being a black woman in China, the same, the perspective that I had grown just living here in America, all of my experience, even me being a very privileged individual within my race, I will just go ahead and say that. I felt so liberated to go to China. And while black folk in China, you never know what Chinese people are actually thinking, but we can come up with all kind of theory based on how we're treated, based on what the fact that China is what 98% homogeneous society. They're right. not this melting pot. They're looking at my hair like, what is happening here? Right. They just letting anybody, You're out of the other. They just letting anybody in this damn country now, but at the same time, they thrilled and yeah. one thing about it, I can speak that English. That's I'm over here because I can speak that English. So yep. that comes with some respect in the world too, that US passport. Yep. But nevertheless, we getting off topic. No, but this is the topic. It is how we understand and switch within how things are going on. So for me, having that experience of living abroad allowed me to come back into the United States and feel able to understand and work with different types of communities that aren't necessarily right. just like me. So yeah, 
I can walk into the queue. And if you don't know the queue, it's the Quality Life Center Shout here. Shout out to the queue. Shout man. out to the queue right down here on MLK. Great program, after school yeah. enrichment. It's after kids. school enrichment program. Both of us had an opportunity to work at the queue at very mm -hmm. at different times. And I'm so happy that the queue is a part of my story. I've always known of the queue growing up because it was run by a Muslim. My mother had her affiliations with the queue. Mr. Muhammad, shout out to Mr. Muhammad. He's we a jewel Mr. in our Muhammad. community. But there was always this disconnect sure. between the Christian community and, oh, they're celebrating Kwanzaa. Oh, let's, uh -uh, let's stay over there because I got my Jesus and my Christmas. And we don't do all that. But over time, again, that is the beauty of exposure, mm -hmm. education, and forcing yourself to get out there. But to your point about bringing ourselves together. So Cindy and I can even comfortably bump heads at this point. So of course we agree enough to have a friendship and have a genuine connection, but we also feel safe enough to push back. And that's where I was going with that. Drop it, maybe considering a lot of black people are leaving the Democratic Party. I'm sorry, does that break your heart? <laughs> I wanna see the data. Look. You want to see the data on whether they are, yeah. or you want to know the reasoning, the heart and no, mind no. behind I know that there's a very small percentage of folks who are leaving. The did party. that break your heart a little bit? You can be honest. It did, because I'm just like, Republicans are not. She doesn't so want me to get, that's the thing. It's not even to jump to the Republican <laughs> Party. It's the other. Um, it's the other that seems so attractive because both Democrats and Republicans can be disappointing in very yeah. different ways. Yeah. And I think there is this desire to detach from those two heavyweight norms that, you know, yeah. seem to polarize, polarize our nation. And I think people are tired of this odds and ends. It's almost shapes who you are in a way. But this is actually, in my opinion, why we think we why we actually need to understand how our systems work and mm. talk about this in class because i i love this stuff i've studied how our country has been moving further apart from each other for okay. decades this okay. is not new okay it feels very raw because we have some really intense politicians right now donald trump ron DeSantis. these folks are intense okay but we have been moving further apart from each other so in fact an author that i love robert putnam which is on social capital okay mm -hmm. capital is our relationships we have bonding and bridging bonding makes us close bridging is like people that we know that aren't as close to us okay and he's been researching, for instance, one of the things that determines wealth is how much bridging social capital you have. If you have the ability to know more than just your neighborhood, you have the better chance of social mobility. This is true. But what he's done is look over a hundred years at how much we've been coordinated or collected with our community. Simply like how individual versus community we have been. What he found is that the United States right now is at the bottom of the trough. So we're as low on our community scale and basically as high on our individualistic scale oh, as we sure. have been in a hundred years. But oh, he, wow. he did this like through evidence, like showing like how we were in clubs and stuff like that. So in the 60s is when it peaked. And it's interesting because he points out that even though we're at the bottom of this individualistic trough, we have the opportunity to rebuild in unique ways because now we can actually have more less conformity, right? Because that's what the 60s were about. But how do you build those communities without, with that, with such an individualistic, because again, living in Asia will teach you how much of an individual you have become or you yep. are, but how, without that conformity, how do you build those groups, those connections? So that's the second part of this. So we actually in the United States have physically built ourselves apart from each other. Mm -hmm. About it. We've had the rise going back 
early 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, suburban communities, mm. cars, the highway and the cars. So now you don't even have to talk to anybody. You can go to your house, your McMansion on the cul-de-sac McMansion? in your car, drive to your work, and then drive back to house. You don't have to know anybody in your neighborhood. You don't have to talk to anybody at all. Isolated ourselves. Now you throw in things like the technology and the social media. We are so far removed from one another. We've actually seen a phenomena of people physically moving because the middle class grew, right? And people were able to move. So they were tired of living God, in the city. Sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it back. But so people were tired of living in the urban centers. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't like those people. I don't like what they eat. I don't like their religion. I don't like how they talk. So I'm gonna separate myself. I'm gonna go move over here with everybody else. And so there's actually been, in you, they, there are researchers that have mapped this. Richard Florida is one of them. Mm. Bill Bishop, the big sort, this is his book. I love her. Ooh, this who knows this? I, I don't know. I sit up until 3 a.m. reading this stuff every day because I love it because it, it explains it. Because it's not just, see, it's beyond politics. Politics is just reflecting this thing that we've already been doing, which Man. is moving further away from each other. Definitely. So now you have the urban centers, which there are lots more people. So that's why the Democrats are inclusive and bigger tent and different mm, ideas mm. and a bit messy. Whereas the rural areas are very Republican because it's more homogeneous, it's more white, it's more Christian, and they can be like that. And the way that the maps go, which is the other part about it, is so now that we've moved into these little enclaves, and every party when they're in power gerrymanders the maps, Democrats and Republicans alike. So what we have is when there are areas that are more Republican or more Democrat, they've gotten more Republican and more Democrat, not necessarily because people are moving into those areas, mm -hmm. but because of the way that we draw the maps. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened here in the state of Florida. So they drew the maps. They did what's called crack and pack. So they pushed all the Democrats into a handful of districts, Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Tallahassee, that's it. And so those districts are unbelievably easy for Democrats to win. They're like plus 35, plus 30, okay? And then they separated out the state, so they're all heavily Republican, but a little less. So like this district is a plus 13. Right? Matt Gates is his district is the most Republican, and that one is like plus 30, okay? Mm -hmm. So what that does is that means it gives the impression that we're separated when it's really just been a political trick based on these demographic yeah. trends that we've been having this whole time. Yeah. And listen at me coming to my own conclusions. And I've only voted in three president, what, three presidential, four presidential election. My first time being legally able to vote, I voted for a president, Barack Obama. So that just shows you the depth that I do not have when it comes to understanding things over time. So I'm glad you brought that perspective up. But I got a question for you. I'm putting you on the spot. I hope you understand that. Spot. Listen, all right. So say, for instance, a group of Republicans, far-right Republicans, invited you to speak on a very specific topic that they agreed on, too, that you agreed on, but when understand that... Overall, they don't agree with what you stand for, what you believe, and they would rip you to shreds in a heartbeat outside of that one particular topic. Would you take that out as an opportunity to go and present to that group of Republicans? Or would you say, you know what? No, no, because y'all don't get the bigger picture of what I'm talking about. So I'm going to just, what would you do? So, okay, so there's a, so is this the political Cindy or is this the activist Cindy? Okay. No, because they're different calculations. Are they? Yeah, because if I'm a politician, I'm looking at how is that going to affect my voters? How is that going to affect my fundraising? Are there other people that are there that are that will donate to me if I reach their message? Okay. And yeah. then also, is this going to alienate other voters? Is this a big mm. enough issue that I can continue to work on it? 
and it will be a value to me. I see. Okay. But so, if I'm an activist and that thing is really important. But see, that's me, the thing. You're both at the I same know. time with the same issues. You got to consider the political <laughs> part and you got to consider the activist part. You're you. You get this opportunity that I just explained. What are you going to do with it? It depends on how much I care See, on the issue. Listen, there's always contingency. It's levels to it, right? It is, right? <laughs> but it is it's levels listen, to This it. is what I do. This is my brain is always going All right. Like so if it was something that I was like, okay, so listen, I'll give you this example. All right. Because I know where you're pushing on this. And I want you to tell your story in a minute too. Oh, yeah. But listen, in 2020, I built a bipartisan coalition of 50 candidates across the state of Florida. And we came together around one issue. And that was making sure that grassroots candidates had access to the ballot despite the fact that it was COVID. And I had some of the okay most far right QAnon folks yeah. in that coalition. And it was a thing to manage. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I had to like actually put the Democrats and Republicans on different emails because they would fight, but we could come together on that one thing. And so I think it's possible. I think it's important. But didn't it feel good when you came together with them? It did. did oh, you I feel, that. But did you feel like there was hope going forward that, wow, maybe we can do this more often? Or, oh, no. Oh, no. you didn't feel that way? No. I, that was like, this is, that's one thing. But this is where the relationship comes in, too. Okay. And why, okay. actually, when we are physically apart from one another, mm. it's harder. And the other part of the big sort in mm. Washington, D.C. is back in the 90s. Okay. They actually, I think it was under Gingrich, they made a decision that Congress was only going to meet Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so they could fly back to their districts, which makes sense. You mm -hmm. want your congressional representative back in your district. However, that's not how it had been. It had been that everybody moved up there with their families. They lived in the same communities. Their kids went to the same schools, so they got to know each other no matter what party they were in, okay? And so you actually, so that actually destroyed the social capital building between the congressional representatives representatives themselves. So they weren't friends. I got you. So you got, you only had friends who were like back in your district, but you didn't have people who were, that you just met from across the country. Yeah. Who, whose kids went to your school and you got to talk to them because it's actually those relationships. Yeah. Not necessarily the issues that bring us together. Absolutely. And it's always a sacrifice, right? Anytime you're advancing in one direction, there is a sacrifice in the other direction. And that's why I had to put you on the spot with that because I was faced with that. My, I didn't have a deep, I didn't have a deep conviction about speaking. So I, let me back y'all up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, back it up. Tell and the whole tell, I'm going to tell you, the, tell this the is, see, this is why I love you right here. As I entered into my race for Fort Myers City Council for Ward 3, I sat and had a conversation with Cindy and I said, there's this practice going on where people are going in and they're going door to door and saying, hey, just let me get your ballot and I'm going to do the right thing with it. I want you, I'm going to go ahead and vote for whoever, because people outside of the president, let's be honest, president and governor, maybe governor, maybe your mayor, people really don't know the ins and outs of who mm -hmm. all is on their ballot, who's right. running for agriculture, who is running for district attorney, who's the judges, blew my mind oh, on yeah. the ballot. Oh, yeah. tough. It's tough. Damn, it? what if I'm clicking the wrong thing? Because it's, or you just leave it blank, right? So I'm describing mm -hmm. this practice to her, and she says, Oh, yeah, that's called ballot harvesting. I'm like, Wow, it has its, And it's illegal. It's illegal, right? And I said, This is what's been going on in War Three, in War Two, in War One, in the whole world, in the United States, mm -hmm. especially in black and brown community because mm -hmm. you see this disconnect yep. oftentimes in black communities. And so they'll say, for instance, they'll say crime is higher in poorer communities, right? Mm -hmm. So election crime 
is no different, right? So she described for me ballot harvesting. I researched ballot harvesting. I found out how illegal it was, but I found out Republicans in particular in the state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis made it a third degree felony, those mm -hmm. who were participating in ballot harvesting. I'm like, wow. So it's not just frowned upon, it's actually illegal. I didn't even know what the term was called. So of course, for people who don't, who are disconnected, they don't know that they're participating in something or they're aiding in something. So I jumped on this ballot harvesting thing. And guess what? Republicans. It's the Republican thing they Ooh, love. They love that. They love election it. integrity. So, all so that. this guy that I actually respect a lot, he reached out to me and said, Hey, Chantel, I heard about you on fake news. And he called one of our local news stations. I'm like, okay, I got to be fake news. But anyway, he said, I heard about your election integrity story and I want to invite you to speak. And he spent so much time over the next few weeks and months prepping me for what he felt that I would be very uncomfortable in that setting. And naturally, look at me, I'm black as hell. I'm swaggy and black and got dreads. And I led the black, the black power movement, Black Lives Matter movement. So of course he felt he had to do a lot of prepping, but in my heart, I was so excited at the opportunity to speak to a group of hardcore MAGA stumping Trump supporters, make America great again people. And I spoke to them and we'll insert some clips from that speech, but I spoke on the very specific yeah. topic of election integrity. To my surprise, I did have a lot of people from the Democratic Party who just didn't want to touch that issue. They respected me as an individual. But again, as Cindy mentioned, looking at the bigger picture and what that does overall to the party. Are you feeding into a narrative about your party or the party that you support or that you believe is ultimately for the greater good? Are you feeding a, into negative stereotype that could be damaging? And so I had this conflict. I did have a little bit of conflict where you think about the greater good, but then you think about how do we get to a greater good when we overstep these little goods called a community, called a ward, called mm -hmm. a specific environment where there's no oversight. People are running rampant during this particular election crime and they're not being held accountable, not being checked by government. But most, the saddest part is that people within the community Unity did not know that it was a crime. They didn't right. know it was wrong. Oh, you know what you're doing? You held this, a position in power. I'm going to hand over my ballot to you. So I was excited at the opportunity to speak, but I did have that little moment where I'm like, and I quickly said, you know what? Screw it. One life to live. I want to see what it feels like. And when I tell you, oh, People were discouraging me. They was like, no, because you're going to come back maggot out and they're going to get you and you're going to be one of you going to turn this and the third. And I'm like, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> That's how I felt. I'm like, do you not see that with each move you make, there, that is an opportunity to plant a seed, right? That's an opportunity. You don't know where the hell that seed is going to go. You don't know if it's going to get a chance to flourish and grow. However, if you don't plant the seed, you can guarantee you're not getting apart by getting a crop. And so I did see it because I am not as much of a liberal as a lot of people would look at me or look at my profile and assume that I am. We've had this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the books that I love the most, and I'm gonna wrap this up, but one of the books that I love the most is called Love Your Enemies. It's by Arthur Brooks. And it talks about the political divide in our nation and how basically our attitude of contempt towards the other political party associate we will take a single issue like a person saying i'm going to vote for president donald j trump 
and we're going to call that person evil, racist, the devil, we're just, they die, rest in piss, like they told that black lady. I was like, damn, y'all are hard. Y'all are hardcore. But people feel passionately about what they feel like things represent. Nevertheless, right. I've been invited back to speak again. So oh, really? I'm to Cambridge, I'm going and I'm damn sure. proud. I'm damn proud. And I don't hesitate to tell people I led the Black Lives Matter movement. When I said that the last time it was up in, where was it? Orlando, Election Integrity Conference. They were like, what? I say, you damn right. And I'm proud of the work that I've done. This is not me doing a little swap over, but this is me being able to talk openly and honestly about my views from every angle. And guess what? I think people respect when you're able to call out your own, right? Yeah, absolutely. When I can call out my brother for stuff, People respect we me. We know Chucky. Yeah. <laughs> my brother going to be on this show. Don't worry about it. I oh, brought yeah. a copy of his book. Actually, hold on one second. <laughs> Shout out to my brother with the dating cookbook. <laughs> He's a social worker. He's going to be one of the guests on our shows. Ooh, I'm so proud of that. So proud of my brother, Mr. Charlton Rose. Shout out. This is his first book, The Dating Cookbook. If you see me and I got it on me, it's yours. Nevertheless, when I can challenge my brother... I get more respect than being just a yes man, a go along. Oh, because he's my flesh and blood. We share the last name, no matter what he does. Now, don't get me wrong. In public now, we unify. We're, we're, but when it comes to the nitty gritty, I think it gains us more credibility and more respect. And you can tell who is for the people because the people, we don't follow a particular leader, a particular mm -hmm. president that is going to fluctuate based on what whether the leader does a good job, mm -hmm. serves the people. Right. Nevertheless, that's my spill on that. I'm, I look forward to talking about election integrity. So, they tried to give me a MAGA hat too. I was like, get that, get out of the way from me. I ain't there. I, ain't, I don't feel, I don't feel that comfortable being that far disconnected from my people in my culture. I ain't trying to piss people off that bad to the point where I don't have a relationship with, yeah. with my culture. Okay. So what was interesting about that? First of all, I think it's great. And I actually love, I love what you were saying too, because we're not cookie cutter people too, right? It's not a Democrat. It's not a Republican. And actually people who are the pundits and the political people, they forget that the regular folks don't always know the lines, right? And it's, oh, I like them, or that thing that was important to me, they said. Like, all these other things everybody doesn't necessarily know. Right. Wonky people, and it's like, what do they say? It's maybe 10, 20%, so it's 10%, hyper republicans and 10 percent hyper democrats and they know all the things and they're getting all worked up right but 80 percent in the middle everybody's just trying to live their life they're just trying to be some regular right. people and that's what i love about the book it just talks about how we have been led to believe that we are more perhaps polarizing you think but there are so many people in the frustrated center that's what the book refers to it as hmm. this frustrated center that feels, damn, I feel a little bit of this and I feel a little bit of that. I don't want to gang up and go so hard for a particular party that I can't speak open and honestly about right. issues. And that's the purity test and stuff. But that also comes back to gerrymandering, too, because when things are gerrymandered, then you get really polarized folks that are come in and then they can lead the dialogue. Mm. So then there's these purity tests. Well, are you really a Republican? Are you really that a Democrat? Are. Because you need these things. And not, it used to not be that way. I worked on Capitol Hill during the bipartisan era. It wasn't like that. Mm. There were Republicans who were pro-choice. There were Democrats who were fiscally conservative. That's Give me an was. example of somebody who is very bipartisan, very central, very moderate, who is respected by both sides. Not now. In history. Anytime. In I worked for Daniel Patrick Moynihan. He, who? Say that one more Daniel time. Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Okay. He was a... 
think it was like 27 years, he was a senator from New York. He actually authored, he, I call him the father of evaluation for the government because he's the one that actually said, hey, like, let's measure and figure out if we're doing good stuff. But his report was, was called The Poverty of the black child or something is okay. somewhat when we look back at it now we're like oh it's a little controversial okay but he it was a landmark thing because the government had never researched how poverty and race intersected before okay and this is the 70s how did okay? they not consider it it was in the 70s, 70s. no it but it's just because we just academic, we weren't thinking about it we weren't thinking about it yeah. people were like they see it but he said let's figure it out and so he said look there's all these problems these mm. discrepancies that we need to work on but was he like what you would call like today like the big spend Republic Democrat? No. He, would he have fallen into all these culture war things? No, he wasn't. He was considered to be a very quintessential statesman, had lots of bipartisan because he was there for 30 years and um, yeah, had Republican friends and he would be the one because I worked in his office in the Senate Finance Committee and when he was the majority leader. So he actually was leading the charge among all the other Democrats. Got you. For and Republicans too, but basically calling somebody, saying somebody was not being bipartisan. You're not being bipartisan. That was a sh that was a big slam. A big offense. It was right. a big offense. And that was in the, in 2000 when I worked for Because him. we're ultimately all Americans, right? And we're working for the American good. It used I to be part that. of your job, right? Yeah. But now <laughs> it's, it's because of, you can have people who are really entrenched because all they got to do is win a small majority of people in their district who are all Republicans or Democrats anyway. So you can be on the front. So yeah. yeah. So I need to start looking into his work a little bit because I want to fashion myself as somebody who can sit in and have uncomfortable conversations. I want to be able to learn and of course emphasize the respect that I think a lot of us have lost for one another because of our political views. We see it all the time, not just our political views. We see it happening in our faith groups. Of course, faith people of faith don't like to say that they flat out, hey, they're not going to go as hard, but the way that they hold attitudes and positions and how they treat people. It can be in the distance that they put between themselves and the other. Yeah. I, I want to look more into that because I see this as an opportunity. Yeah. Like I said, a seed planted. So I'll keep you all updated on what that's like. But I know I've gotten a lot of pushback from that. And rightfully, like you mentioned, the purity test. They want to see how loyal you are to a certain thing. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that I caught. A lot of people were telling me that they say this about Kanye West. They say that there is no one more pressed to have white validation like Kanye West. And so you'll get people that will try to say, oh, they're just using you. What? Why can't I be doing a little using of my own? If I'm fashioning myself as a person who wants to grow politically, it would behoove me to have a variety of friends across a wide spe spectrum. And I use friends loosely. These ain't, aren't friendships. Your political but these friends. are connections, right? <laughs> and there's so many things that are spewed out. You owe oh, you being bought out. First of all, ain't no money involved. Maybe a little flight or something like that in a hotel room. But as far as like, there are so many nasty things thrown at people who just say, I mm. want to see what the other side is talking about. I don't want to lose the respect of my, of the ones who grew me and helped me form and evolve into who I am. So that's going to be an ongoing journey because I have some feelings still. So stuff 
comment, stick yeah. it to me. Yeah. I was going to say, that was the one thing I think you and I talked about. Because when I saw I was like, Chantel, look at all these folks on this ticket. And I said, because I, I was like, I've never heard of them before. I was like, oh my gosh, I have. <laughs> Wait, and we talked about it. And I was like, he was like, this is what we're doing. I was like, well, that's a whole thing with them folks. And you're like, yeah. And you're but like, I'm I, I'm I, like, I didn't want to. I ran it by people that I trust. Cindy, I have a couple of other friends like Sarah. I wanted them to know what I was involved in. Cindy probably had the most mature response. There were some mature responses, but for the most part, people felt like this is a bad idea. You're being used. You're just the token that's going to help destroy the Democratic Party. And I saw so much more to it. I feel as though, again, that credibility and that respect comes even for someone within the party. I think it strengthens it. I think it strengthens us as people when we can say, I see this happening on my side. And before the convention, you would be surprised because they talked about how many Republicans were, they called out their own people and, well, and I would have never known what was happening if I wasn't in those spaces, occupying those spaces <laughs> and being called out kind of names and saying I want white validation and I'm being bought out and all this stuff. Nevertheless, I think that and this is why when you said, are you would you do this? It's always it's a calculation. Yeah, it is. It, is this important? Yeah. Is it well, is it going to open up? Some people who do I, I want to ruin these relationships? Who? Because here's the other thing with politics and things like this: you're always going to make somebody mad. You always, no matter make what you say mad. or how you say it, somebody's not going to like it. Mm. And chances are they're going to come and tell you all about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they're going to tell somebody else and somebody else, and they're going to tell them not to vote for you because your hashtag is to vote. I'm sorry, that was a little too personal, <laughs> but you get it. Yeah, you're always gonna you're going so to you gotta pick. And you have it. to choose there. That's why I mentioned that it, it is a sacrifice, but I do it for the ones that I love. I do it for the sake of opening doors and opening our portals to information. Because like I said, going back to what's the people name? The lady that died, Diamond? Diamond. I think her name was Lynette How Howland. I don't know, but I know they were shucking and jiving all over the place for Donald J. Trump. And they seem to be making money too. Yeah, they seem to be passionate about it. But the comments were just like, damn, yo, y'all really feel like you're going to tell this lady to rest in piss just because she passed away, but she was a Trump supporter, a black Trump supporter. But, but my problem again, feel how you feel, but when you're asked to explain it and your explanation is as deep as a goddamn teaspoon, I find issue with that. I don't like that. And I want us to know why we don't like what we don't like. I want us yeah. to be informed people. Yeah. And when we 100%. step, we got to step boldly. Yeah. And I agree. And so that's why I'm all over social media and stuff. So I found that too. And I'm like, I was looking it up about what everybody was saying. I'm like, whoa, everybody's feeling some way about this. Yeah. I, what I found for me, I, I really try to stay, I may have some carefully placed words every now and then, but I really don't, I don't participate in ad hominem attacks or body shaming or this kind of really this negative stuff. Yeah, she was a lady. And here's the other thing. I don't, I never they really body shaming her too. I'm sure they were. Oh, I mean, that's what they do to me every time somebody. Yeah, you lie. said that. Just, oh my time. God, you should. There's a whole thing you should see right now what people are saying about me today. But anyway, yeah, just because like when you say something, that's what people go to. But I was like, this is this doesn't make sense. Again, because if I can read you on why I don't like you, I don't have to pull in these other things like your weight or your height or your or it's like you're a slut or a, a man. I'm a trans man. Yeah, that's like, that's like you're fat, you're a slut, you're a dude. Or you can tell me why you have an issue with the things that I said. You can provide research, you can provide right. thoughtful dialogue and pushback. But we reach for these blanket words and we are, we, it's like 
sheep mentality. Like we're just going along with what we feel we're supposed to go along with and we're riding for the cause. Mm -hmm. And I think that destroys us as a people. Yeah. So I try not to participate in that. But one thing I did say is that, and I don't know the whole story, but it was reported that she had COVID and had mm -hmm. been hospitalized for a long time. Oh. And so my response was, I'm really sorry to hear of her passing. I hope her family and loved ones are, are whatever condolences kind yeah, of thing. I said, yeah. but this is a good reminder that the black community has paid the highest price for misinformation around Listen, COVID. And that I can respect because it was directly tied. If she passed, if she did indeed pass away from COVID and the Trump administration spent a great deal of time denying COVID, downplaying COVID, making sure they pissed off at people from wearing masks, that's a direct correlation. I can right. see that. Yeah. And then when you brought it back to the larger picture of if the black community, if white America has a cold, black America has pneumonia. We right. have it worse because we're already the Less fragile. Healthy, yeah. You live in a dirtier environment. Absolutely. Yeah. We have, Access we are to known to racial bias in medicine. Do you want me to keep going? Keep going. Because <laughs> there's lots more. There's a hundred reasons yes. why all these We're things. fragile. Yeah. That's what we're saying is so that brings it back to a larger conversation. And it's not these little simple ass, eh, you hurt right. me or you seem to be against me. Eh. But we learning, we're learning today. I'm learning. And thank you so much, Dr. Cindy Banya, just for thank being you, you the smartest person ever. No, I love, so I respect you for real. I respect you too. I think that's why we're friends. And we talk about it. So, the, and that's it. Like you can talk, we can disagree and we can say, hey, how's this? And we can look at different angles. And here's the other thing. And I think that what I hope that we can, also cultivate, because this is what I try to cultivate with my students too, is sometimes we have to have the space to be wrong too. Maybe we say something, we talk about it and we may make mistakes. Yeah. And then we can talk about it. Oh, I'm glad you said that because that's, think about it. Like we don't give ourselves the grace to, to be wrong and to allow others to be wrong. Miriam Webster, she has this book called Return to Love, A Course in mm -hmm. Miracles, right? And she talks about how that word grace is what allows people to come back when they have misspoken or when right. even politically say for instance because they talked about obama and how initially he was against and we're gonna wrap it up soon but obama he was initially against gay marriage but over time his views changed not whether they changed because of whatever power or his truly his heart changed Nevertheless, even politically, we have to hold space for the fact that we may not always feel how we feel. There is a such thing as growth and transformation in a right. different perspective based on your lived experiences. And I think when we hold people to these disgusting, we disgusting remarks without reading their actual the facts surrounding their position, it locks us out of that grace that we need to come back and recover and say, I've thought about it, or I've matured, I've grown, I've learned more on the information on the subject, more information on the subjects. And so that's just my spill. That's just what's on my that's heart. Good. Did you season. want to show this before we go? I want you to, have you read it? Yes. Can y'all see this? John Pavlovitz. If God is love, don't be a jerk. Cindy provided this very sign. Signed, very, by John, because he came helping us. Yeah, this was a part of my birthday gift from Cindy, and that's get you some friends that want to see you get smarter. Okay, yeah, it's important all those other areas of life, but it's nothing like a person who invests in your mental well-being by investing in your intelligence level. But this challenges us. If God is love, do not be a jerk. So 
You want to expound on it a little bit? So John Pavlovitz is, so you might have seen his memes and things like that around. He's a very prolific writer. He was a pastor for a long time and then left the church. He's really popular with the UU, the U Universalist folks. And I know that you had been involved with them. So I thought you might like it too. But he's talking about, what, yeah, where do we lose this path in Christianity where it used to be about service and love how it's judging and ostracizing absolutely yeah and you're more concerned with preserving the actual institution itself than you are concerned about preserving the values of that institution and that's what this book talks about i'm excited about learning and reading it's called everything <laughs> she's got so many books in her bag here <laughs> it's f now if you've read the book have you read the book the i have subtle, not read this one. no the subtle art of not i it. read the first one yes that was the one that katie Porter was reading during the speaker Really? Yes. Really? Listen. She went viral last week because she was sitting there while the Republicans were fighting and she's just reading that. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F That yeah. is a powerful <laughs> book. And so this is like the spinoff called Everything is... Can we say that? You can, yeah. No, we can't. Yeah, it's... Yeah. We it, can. Because yeah. we, we can do what we want. We're in America. We can do what we want. We do what we want to do. It says everything is fucked. Everything... No, because what if my pastor watched it? Now, everything is fun. <laughs> and it's so powerful. It's profound. So I encourage you all, check this one out. We're going to start a book club. Oh, for sure. That's, be next. that's because we got to, that, well, you know, that's how you get information to talk about. You got to have something. You can't mm -hmm. just be waking up and it's just you and your thoughts. No, you better get you some information. But anyway, that's the juice for today. That's the juice. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you next week. So stay tuned to Big Mouth Media. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, our website, www.bigmouthmediafl.com. And if we, when we, if we're looking at changing times you'll see it there we'll we're going to keep you, know. you informed and you will see this edited and coming out next monday all right so you can watch the edited version too all right we but hey but all. if you want to see us how cute we look in this lights and this beautiful seed and bean you're gonna have to subscribe so on big mouth media we have special for a short time because we're a startup right now $50 gets you grandfathered in access to all of the content from Big Mouth Media. Yeah. So that includes Dr. Cindy Speaks. That includes Rebecca Jones, Misinformation, as well as all of the other podcasts we have coming on. We have the videos. We have special interviews. Full-length content yeah. is on the website. So yeah, help go us. ahead and get those purses out because we need you to invest. All right. You, this is something great. This is something good. So go ahead, subscribe, hit like, hit subscribe so that you can get notifications and hear about when we're coming out with new content. But we love you all and we make these sacrifices for you. Yeah. Thank this you. Is the juice. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye.